you can't have global public goods, you can't have global public health if you don't have a global public. Welcome to Development Unfunded. The COVID crisis has required a huge amount of leadership to respond to an unprecedented problem. But it changes not very much in terms of what this world needs in the long term. We have long known that we need far more money, public money, to invest in the things we care about, global public goods. We know that money needs to be better distributed and we know that our current decision-making processes are old-fashioned. They're not fit for purpose in a modern world. We're driving a broken-down car without any fuel. But COVID-19 has made these problems much clearer to many more people. It's a once-in-a-generation opportunity. Policies that until recently seemed radical are now being seen as a necessity. If your policy proposals in this COVID-19 crisis are not radical and ambitious, then you're missing the opportunity this crisis presents. When I first proposed something like global public investment in a conference almost 10 years ago, it was met with kind of baffled silence and possibly a little bit of a snigger. Unrealistic was the most generous comment it received that day. Since then, the idea has gradually risen up the agenda. My book's been published. It's been pretty well received. More and more people are backing it. And that is partly because of the COVID moment, because people are seeing that we need something big in response to the problems we face as a world. While we can be sure that global health spending is going to change as a consequence of this crisis, how it changes is going to depend on how creative and influential we are, civil society and influencers. But there's an important missing piece of the jigsaw. Can we talk about global public investment and global public goods when we don't have a global public? That phrase, global public, doesn't even really exist in our lexicon. In Europe, five decades of integration has led to what could be considered a European public that has supported or at least acquiesced to a large-scale redistribution of money from wealthier countries to poorer ones within the EU club. While the mechanism is far from perfect, it has succeeded in spending money on regionally agreed goals, such as environmental sustainability, green transport, green infrastructure social welfare, support to businesses. Such a consciousness also exists in Africa, where pan-Africanism has had its peaks and troughs, but it does underpin some of the important infrastructure, uh, political infrastructure on the continent, joint funds and institutions, including the African Centers for Disease Control, which have come to the fore in this corona crisis. In Latin America, where I live, a shared heritage has not led to significant solidarity in this way, although there are regional banks and some sub-regional spending together. And Asia's size and diversity may have held back some kinds of uh, regional consciousness and solidarity, although organisations like ASEAN look stronger after this COVID crisis. The more these regions and sub-regions think as regions, the more likely they are to be able to pool resources and energies to respond to cross-border problems, to promote regional sustainability and, yes, convergence and equality. 
So can we hope for the same at the global level? In a sense, it's what many civil society organisations and visionary politicians have been working for for decades. The United Nations itself is some kind of proto-attempt to build global concern and global commitment. But we haven't termed it in the same way that we do at the national level, where we talk about public-spirited, the general public, public spending, the public interest. At the global level, we prefer the language of aid to others, solidarity with others. It's still us and them rather than just us. This is reflected in the frankly unacceptable standards that wealthy countries set for poor countries. Poverty lines and graduation thresholds that would be considered totally unacceptable in Europe and the US are standardly used in the aid sector. When a person earns a pitiful sum, they're considered no longer poor. And when a country emerges from near total misery, it's called middle income. In most affluent countries, while some inequality is inevitable, there's an agreement that the public should live within parameters of reasonably good health, good education, good housing. But globally, we've engendered a system of double standards, literally. So while we need solid emergency leadership to help us through this crisis moment as a world, we need visionary thinking as well to build this new idea a global public, which should be attended to in just the same way as our national and regional publics. A truly general public. If COVID-19 teaches us anything, surely it's this. A caveat. One of the great lessons of politics all over the world in recent years is that place matters, community matters. Politicians have one support for programmes that prioritise the local and the national, while liberals have suffered from an association with globalisation. This is a serious challenge to those of us that believe in internationalism, in a global public, that the life of people everywhere should be valued the same. But it's also a profound truth that the right wing has sometimes understood better than the left. It's not narrow and racist, as some have sometimes implied, to cherish tradition and community. It's natural, it's celebratory. Somehow, as we build a politics for the 21st century, we must balance the need to cherish and preserve the local while building a global public and providing global public goods. Balance the local issues that dominate the minds of most of us with global mindedness and global equality, which are increasingly necessary for human survival wherever you live.